this is the Super Fastlane Women Podcast. And first of all, like, I actually ran into you through social media because I started getting interested in biking. And when I, I didn't really think you would want to talk to me, actually, because <laughs> I know we went to school together, but at the same time, I didn't really know you. I played volleyball with your sister a little bit, but um, you're a year older than me. So really, by the time I kind of, like, got into your your little sphere of influence, I think, you know, it was hard for me because I was like, oh, I don't know if this gal will want to talk to me, but you did. And so I'm excited to sit with you here today and uh, be a part of Super Fast Lane Woman. And the reason why I have you on here is because you hold multiple hats. And that's part of why I started Super Fast Lane Woman, because being a business owner, being a mom, just being in life, having a significant other, like there's so many pieces to our lives that sometimes, you know, get lost in translation. So Jess, thanks for coming on with me today. Well, thank you for having me. And it's it's so funny that you say that because I wasn't really an endurance athlete in high school. That's and right. It's, okay. It's, it's like I think we connected years later um, through sport, through yeah. our local bike shop, and yeah. Definitely. So I'm glad I'm glad that we did. Um, and and moving back to Whitefish is helpful because I'm not just here for weeks at a time. I have time to form local friendships. Yeah, for sure. Well, I do want to share a little bit about your upbringing in Whitefish. Just tell us a little bit about living here because, you know, some of the things that you do with, like, the Last Death Ride and the scholarships you do, are the core really comes from your upbringing in Whitefish. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so if you know Whitefish today, you probably think of it as, like, kind of a tourist destination, maybe a little bit of a fancy resort town. It was not like that growing up here, um, so I'm 40 just to give you some context of the, the timeline, put a timestamp on this. And w- when I grew up here, I mean, most families came from humble backgrounds, um, my family included, um, very loving and supportive family that was low income. Uh, I think my mom raised my sister and I on about $12,000 a year. Um, she cleaned houses. And my dad worked at Nelson's Hardware for a long time before he started his home repair business. So as you can imagine, there was not a lot of extra money there for, um, you know, sport equipment or getting into something like bikes. But, you know, they found a way and I think it was, it's a testament to our community and it's something I didn't realize until I got older what it meant to have these programs that are in place. Um, just as an example, uh, your business partner, Dave, his wife taught figure skating lessons, and I figure skated and I took lessons from her because I, did I not had, know that. I, yeah, I totally, oh my God. like one of the most expensive sports right. because I was given a grant through um, a local organization. I applied every year, um, they awarded me money to have my figure skating membership. To have lessons from Jennifer, Um, so just a really cool example of the involvement of our community, and just to kind of elaborate on that, and you know, complete the answer to this question. When I was in high school, and I realized our guidance counselor, Mrs. Mansfield, our sophomore year, came around and started talking about college already, and I 
had a panic attack because it was the first time that I had been given that type of information and it scared me that I couldn't afford to go to college. I was like, wait, wait, it costs money. It's not free like high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might seem a little silly, but when you, when you come from a family that doesn't come from like an Ivy league background or maybe it's not the focus, um, it's not like education wasn't important to my parents. It just wasn't a conversation we had had yet. So I worked with Mrs. Mansfield for the next three years, um, to sort of fill out scholarship applications and grant applications. And my first year of college was funded almost completely on local scholarships. Um, and college was a lot less expensive back then. The Pell Grant was um, more available. So um, I, I didn't even have student loans for undergrad. That's um, awesome. Yeah, so this community had a huge influence on me. And as a, an adult, you look back on it and you realize that the influence is less about the financial part and it's more about knowing that people were willing to invest in you and how much people cared about myself and my family and just like the sneaky little ways that, you know, people really helped to lift us up. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually weren't even in sports then, but still. No, I really, I think I always knew that being outside and doing things for a long period of time, I didn't know that that was like called endurance sports, right. but I loved figure skating. I loved running outside. I felt a connection to it. I just cool. didn't really know that you could do something with that or make a career out of that. That's cool. So I was a little opposite. So I went the route of getting a college track scholarship. So my thought too, I had a similar upbringing where we didn't have a lot of money. So uh, really my only opportunity was to get a scholarship. So that's how I got to college was through a track scholarship. So uh, that had a, that's a whole nother podcast, (laughs) but um, just the twist of that. But the cool thing about that and my history with running is that actually is what kind of catapulted me to want to reach out to you because you were into biking and biking was one of the things that I could do physically because I had some health issues. And so I remember distinctly when you helped me pick out my bike and, or or you, you just were kind of, you said, yes, this is a great bike because I had found one at great Northern and, uh, which they're great, great Northern cyclery. I love them. And you're like, well, the only problem is there's not a lot of places to race your bike. You're going to have to do triathlon if you want to have more races. And I was like, crap, I don't know how to swim. So (laughs) (laughs) then I learned how to swim. So that's another story too. Yeah, we can relate to each other on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and actually, so you went to college Mm -hmm. and your upbringing here, your dad's kind of a local legend actually. Like I love Fred. He's amazing. Um, But let's go to that a little bit. So you got into college and culinary school, like you're a chef. I actually didn't go to culinary school. I So I did my undergrad at the University of Montana okay. in exercise physiology. Originally, I had intended to focus on athletic training. And I was actually just talking to someone else about this the other day um, because they also went to the University of Montana around the same time as me. And there was a professor named Dr. Ruby who was very passionate about including undergraduates in 
this research. And I kind of got pulled into the research side okay. and decided to go a route where I was tracking to do a PhD. Wow. So once I finished, I was able to third author a paper as an undergrad, which um, in the science community, authorship on papers is a big deal. And okay. if you can move your name up the list to being first author, it's very valuable to institutions. Um, wow. So I had this unique experience um, moving into grad school and I targeted grad schools based on exercise quiz and nutrition programs and ended up in San Diego. Um, So I never went to culinary school, but it wasn't until I was at grad school in San Diego that I actually sort of stumbled into research um, where our subjects were elite cyclists. And so there's like a unique story to how I first got into cycling and then how I abandoned my PhD track and used my background in sport and nutrition to just make my own business. Very cool. And that's Joe Daybar. Joe Daybar. And I was a private chef and a caterer for 12 years. Wow. On the side of racing. That's how I supported myself. And it just came, it was really it was crazy. I was so nervous when I first started because I didn't know what I was doing and there was a lot to learn. But people like eating healthy food and right. people like eating healthy food created by an athlete that's a professional. So you know what you're talking I know about. What I'm, I know what I'm talking about and I don't want to eat boring things. I want right. to make it fun and creative. And in California, you have access to those foods 365 days a year, you can basically walk into a yard and pick an avocado off a tree. So it's you can't do that. You can't do that here. You're paying like five dollars for a rock hard rock hard avocado. So it was, you know, I created this business and um, yeah, it was so unexpected the path that I took and and honestly for a while when it was really hard and there was rough patches and like financially I thought maybe this wasn't the best idea to do this crazy pro cycling career. Um, It just, I stuck with it and it turned out to be the right thing for me. Which is really cool. I love hearing stories like that because honestly the best ones are the ones that are hard. Like you've, you've shown, I mean, Joe Dave's grown and your cycling career has grown and just, the whole, everything about it with the last best ride, your events, like what you're bringing to Whitefish is huge. And it was scary, but look at you now. Yeah, (laughs) it was. I I think I remember sitting in your office about three years ago telling you that I wanted to own a home here. Mm -hmm. And you were like, uh, (laughs) we have a problem. (laughs) You're not making any money. And I was like, oh, great. That little detail. Yeah. Which but. I actually, that is interesting because I do, there was a comment that was made that I saw in some forum recently that it was about where athletes stay and the safety of athletes. And it actually has a little bit to do with that gravel cyclist. And, and it was a part of that. Like, why did they let her stay in a certain space? And, um, and the only reason I bring that up because I, people don't understand you don't make a lot of money and so for them to have that comment of like why this why they're like you guys do the best you can and and I hope it was okay to bring that up just because I just I think that it just it's I know it affects 
to do. And I, I know that cyclists don't make a lot. And so to put that on there, like, that's tough. Like how, how did you survive that? And how, how can you encourage others that are seeking that route route. to be able to survive? I think it's, it's so interesting because, and I'm not afraid to talk about it at all. Like my highest cycling salary ever was $14,000 a year. And that was like a lot of money for an American woman. The disparity between men and women is very high there. Most recently, um, I think there's a minimum salary level for a world tour team for women, but that is something that you're not going to find in America. You have to make it to Europe to do that. And you have to figure out everything, all your lodging, travel, everything. Sometimes teams will pay, most of the times teams will cover the cost of your races and your plane tickets. Um, and then you're like in host housing, you know, you're using people's homes that are opening those up to eight teammates to come in and tornado their house for a week during a stage race. Um, you're paying for your own health insurance. You're, you know, and that's why women, you know, the women on my team, they were all highly educated and or had careers on the side and we would go to stage races and we would race and then we would all scatter and do our respective jobs remotely. And it's like, that is very helpful when you're in an environment when everyone's doing it. Um, But it's like, you're working the hardest you've ever worked in your life physically and mentally to balance it all because cycling is a brutal sport. It is so hard. Um, From the outside looking in, it looks glamorous, but I mean, There's days where you wake up and you're not feeling good and it's pouring rain and you have to go out there and race and put your your life on the line, literally. Yeah, like put your health on the line because it is your job. And then the payoff for it is like 10 cents an hour to do that job. And knowing that you're probably not going to take it much farther than that. But a few people have alluded to the fact that I'm the hardest working woman in cycling. And I kind of chuckle when I hear that because I think that I have had the most support somehow. I've had incredible support system around me of people who were willing to help financially, to help with their homes, or who saw how hard I was working at my businesses. So they would support me through those avenues. They would buy JoJo bars. They would hire me to cater parties. Um, and just do, you can't do it without a support system. So my advice is, is like, um, have your support system and have your backup, whether it's education or your career path that you're working on on the side, because when you get injured or when it gets tough and you can't race one mentally, having that to focus on is extremely helpful. And two it just it sets you up for success if it doesn't go the way that you think it's gonna go no I think that's a good point because I'm totally opposite because I do the triathlon on the side as like my like mental escape but like I need that so it's almost like Mm -hmm. you have your your cycling and that your business but then like you have to have that escape route I have my company but then I I'm like able to release the stress of my company. It's almost like one helps the other and you need yep. to have that. And I think it's a good healthy balance. Yep. Um, so with that, 
what is something that you failed at? Because you now have a successful business, <laughs> and I feel like you're, because you're still racing professionally, correct? I would say that I, it's a little bit flipped more. It's my outlet, and I serve more of a mentorship role. Okay, um, yeah. I do race as a pro at races. Okay. And can sort of accidentally get results based off of my experience, I think, more than anything. Not Definitely not my fitness. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Um, so I would say something that I failed at, if we're talking specifically about sport, I never made it to the top in cycling like I had hoped for. Um, and how I failed at that was injuries and sickness and maybe not managing that some of it was um, out of my control. I had the iliac artery endofibrosis on okay. both legs, and you can't control that. It happens to a lot of cyclists and triathletes. The second time I had it on my left leg, I panicked and I rushed back from that surgery. Mm. It was my first year with a professional contract. I wasn't mature enough to understand that I should take it slow and yeah. come back and it just led to a host of um, health issues and other issues and I ended up pivoting in my career and becoming more of a domestique um, when I think I, I truly could have been one of the best if not the best yeah. um, female cyclist that America ever had like I was on that track right. with an amateur and um, from a number standpoint like purely on paper right. um, it was there and my background in mountain biking um, allowed me to have really good skills and right. just like technical savvy, which is something that's hard to teach, but it didn't go that way for me. And so I would say that was, that was a mistake. I still sometimes look at that and focus on that. Um, my partner, Sam, he races professionally. He races for Legion of LA, and he's incredibly talented, sort of similar on paper, massive numbers, very race savvy, and I look at the trajectory that he's on, and like I, so I don't want to be covering, but I want to protect it, right. because I don't ever want him to make that mistake right. and not take care of himself. Um, and it's so hard when you're in it, you know, like even we're insane people, we get sick and we have a cold for two days and we're like, in our heads, we're obese and we're, we have to retire. The whole world is coming to an right. end. Um, resting is the hardest part of being an athlete. Right. Like, taking a break is so hard. And I think that's the difference too, that I've seen, like, cause I follow a lot of professional cyclists and triathletes and runners and you know, they're the really good ones. They've got great sponsorships. They're they're very good. So they literally can spend their day resting in between workouts. Yeah. It's different when you're a chef. You're still <laughs> yeah, and you're building your way up and you're just you're trying to get it to go or just like myself or just a beginner that's really just, you know, trying to do great. But I also have two kids and yeah. a full time job. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have time for rest. Like, what is yeah, rest? Yeah, what is rest? <laughs> so, um, no, that's, I, because I've had moments like that, too, where it's like, like, what if? Like, yeah. like what if this happened? And um, my dad used to have this saying, and I'm going to say it because it's on my podcast. What if your aunt had balls? Would she be your uncle? <laughs> and he always.
always said that every single time I said what if. And it just made me stop and be like, you're right. Like, I can't just say, like, what if all the time. And I firmly believe that, you know, those experiences can actually lead you to nurture your partner and to mentor some of these other people. That, like, it's okay. Like, you might have this path, but but that's okay if it's not the exact path because it's going to still suck and get a little crazy. But it's your story, and that's what makes it great. It's frustrating when you're living your story sometimes because you don't, it's like we're, we don't have that ability to just take a step back. We're so laser focused Mm -hmm. on the moment as athletes. Yeah. And it is, it's almost annoying when people give you that advice. I had a friend tell me this is the most annoying advice ever, but in five years you are going to be so happy of where you're at right now. It will just be what it's supposed to be. And I was like, I'm going to punch you in the face right now. That is not what I want to hear. Like, I want to control what's happening. I know. So it is very hard. But it's also like you kind of have to let some of it go and have a little faith in whatever you believe in, whether it's the universe or your personal faith or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Sometimes you just need to, like, let it go a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard, like – now being on the other side, the other side of whatever, <laughs> um, it's it's easier to see that um, and sure. to cultivate what I think is healthier habits now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So no, I think that's good. I think that's one of the things that I've always. Oh, it's taken years, but now recently, I only can do what I can do and what I can control. Like yeah. there's so much that's outside of my control. And even I, I work with a lot of people. I, I can't control what they do. I yeah. can only control how I respond. Right. And that's how, you know, trying to teach my kids and just so many outside factors. Like, you you had a major wreck, and it destroyed your leg, right? Yeah, like, it's my leg and my wrist. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. huge. I mean, you didn't know that was going to happen. So. No, and that was right as I was finally coming back from all the other crap. Right. And it was just like, what the heck? You know, like we have another, um, Rose Grant, a local pro who's here and her career has been marred by like pretty tragic injuries Mm -hmm. too. And we're, it's been really nice to have the support for each other because clearly whatever was handed to us, Jane, like we both managed to make great careers Mm -hmm. and have brands in this world, but (laughs) why did it have to be so hard? I don't know why. Don't understand. Yeah, it's I don't. tough. But I mean, just like I should talk to Rose at some point because she's definitely amazing. Should. <laughs> you definitely should. It. I mean, we just bounce back and forth from what we've been through, and yeah. it definitely. Um, it's interesting because neither one of us ever gave up. Mm-hmm. So for sure. Yeah, I I gave up once, but it was something I had to do. I ended up dropping out of college. Competing in track was really difficult for me emotionally, leaving home and dropping out of college was really hard and calling my parents. And But I look back and I ended up, I finished school. Now I, I've owned two businesses now. I don't have my marketing company anymore. I'm all in mortgages and recent business owner with that. But I feel like I had to fail in college because 
I need I needed to be broken down. Yeah. And I I think it was really good for me and sometimes I still do the what ifs but I mean cuz I think about it now like I I'm a good athlete now. Like what if I would have been able to finish college yeah. as a track athlete? I don't know. It's it's would crazy. You, would you own black I know, black diamonds? Exactly. Did you have two kids? I know. Exactly. So it's crazy. I think about like what if I had started riding bikes in high school and went straight into professional racing and was super well supported and made it to the top and then what? Right. Yeah. Now what would I It's doing? almost scarier to think about because yeah. like you're in a good place. Definitely. I'm in a good place. You're in a good place. Like this is actually yeah. good. <laughs> I know. Um so with that, is there any specific moment in time where you made a decision but then immediately knew it was the wrong one but you had to keep moving forward? Yeah, so this is something that I have never really talked about on a podcast before and I need to be sort of brief in, in how I talk about this, but I founded JJ Bar with another partner and it was the wrong partner. And I knew from the beginning, but it was a relationship that um, was polarizing and kept going on that path. And because of that, I almost lost JoJ. Um, It was a combination of that partnership and um, also going into COVID. Uh, We lost a kitchen. We lost our first production kitchen prior to COVID actually immediately overnight they sent an email they had told me they were selling the kitchen to a cannabis edibles bakery um and that we had three weeks oh my gosh to leave so very much time i don't know how much you know about food production but um back in the good old days lead times were eight weeks to have something produced now they're like 24 um but point being is that was devastating um going through the loss of that partnership was devastating, but it's again, like to your point of, um, you said you, you, the time that you gave up, um, maybe you are just getting started. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Which is what I felt like when it was happening and I thought it was all over and all of my life, all of my money, all of my heart was invested into JoJ and what ended up happening is um, I had approached Sam's parents over Christmas of that year to let them know that I didn't think JoJ was going to make it. I probably was going to have to file for a personal bankruptcy. I was really embarrassed. I wanted to tell them. Um, And his dad, who has an MBA, um, he said, well, let me take a look at your books. And I couldn't even afford a bookkeeper at the time. So I was making P&Ls and balance sheets on whiteboards, oh my gosh. which I had assumed that would be the direction that he was going to go, that he was going to want to see our financials because pretty much every meeting I had been in asking for money or asking for help, that's what people wanted to see. So I had pictures with me, <laughs> laid it out, and he very much, like I had deduced, was, look, you have a you have a profitable business that's actually a really great business if it's run correctly. Right. And I'm like, yes, but the problem is is that no one is going to help me do that right now because it's not in a good spot. Like, we don't right. even have a kitchen. Right. So he came in. He ended up coming in, and um, he took almost half ownership mm-hmm. and helped me 
get Jose back on track. And what ended up happening was I was able to learn from someone who is not, who had no ego. Right. His, the purpose of Sam's dad coming in and helping me run Jose was not for him to tell me how much he knew, but was to empower me and give me the tools to be successful. And I think that that is so rare to find one, a partner like that, a partner who I'm just going to say it, that's a guy who's older um, and who's willing to do that. And before you know it, we had this thriving business. We went national with REI, which is a massive step. And that kind of led to the steps into acquisition of Jose. That's cool. And I love Jose bars. I eat them. (laughs) (laughs) I got to give you samples of our new flavor. Yes, please. Salt and chai. Ooh, I love chai. That sounds wonderful. My favorite is the peanut butter chocolate. Chocolate. Yeah. Which might might be me. (laughs) I mean, I take it with me when I'm like working out, but But, it's really good evening snack. (laughs) No, that's cool. Um, So when in life have you felt most alone through all of this? Yeah, that's, I think I have to back up a little bit because I don't really feel like it was through the Jose process. Um, I had the support of Sam then. We've been dating for over four years. I had the support of his family. It was backing up to the um, time when I had my second surgery with my leg. Um, It was, I was so isolated and with every other injury, I've just had this amazing outlook. I've never had any depression. This was different. I was so depressed. I was so sad and I really felt like my life was over and a funny thing happens after you're injured. There's like this period of time where you're in the hospital first. And so you have all this attention and then you leave and everyone wants to see you and check on you. And then not to anyone's fault, they go back to their own lives and mm-hmm. it's like, then you're alone right. for this period of time when you still can't do what you love. You still feel crappy. Right. Um, and that was the hardest point that I can remember in all of this where I just, I felt hopeless. I really did. Um, And it's hard to describe how I pulled myself out of it, but it was, it wasn't even day by day. It was literally sometimes five minutes at a time, like for you to get to the next five minutes. And there were weeks like that. How long did this go on for you? A good like four to six weeks. It wasn't really until I could start getting back outside with the artery surgeries. You're so limited in what you can do because they actually cut into your abdomen. Um, and then they have to remove your black, they move your bladder and your other organs because the artery is very deep. Right. So it's an invasive surgery that requires two surgeons. It's relatively simple um, as far as vascular surgery goes, but it is, something you the healing process in that incision in your abdomen is really what is taking the time to heal and so you basically walk like Mm -hmm. it's a lot of walking um yeah so it just took like uh time one one minute at a time for for days and um the thing is it's like as miserable as that was and even thinking about it now kind of makes me a little uncomfortable because I don't ever want to have a moment in life like that again but Mm -hmm. the reality is is I probably will at some point yeah 
So you kind of have a toolbox now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that you look back at it and you're like, okay, here were the coping mechanisms that I used that didn't work. Mm -hmm. Here's what I know will happen. And, you know, like a year later, I had that huge crash where I essentially smashed into a wall um, at 60K an hour with a pile of 60 people on me. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like the comeback from that should have been a million times worse. Right. And it was, it wasn't like I just had that toolbox. Right. No, that's really cool. I, I think that having that toolbox and all these life experiences are, that's what makes you able to be a good mentor too. Like, I think that's really cool. What is your proudest moment? Oh, I think my proudest moment is, the acquisition of JoJ, it's wrapped into sport because I worked so hard on it. Um, honestly, after Sam came into my life and having him as like, we always joke that he was my unpaid intern <laughs> for four years and never got a promotion. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> he would do everything. It's like, Sam, Sam, help me with this. Sam, help me with this. Free JoJ bars. He got free JoJ. I know. Yeah. I was like a good choice right? to make as a professional athlete. Like, I'm going to date the girl that owns the energy bar company. That's awesome. So solid move. Little did he know that he was going to be packing orders for four hours a day. That's cool. <laughs> um, I, but, I yeah. love that because um, I've heard of people struggling with with like an acquisition. Because it, it like you basically have to give up yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, how did that feel? Like, just giving up a piece of your company? That's a great question. I think, well, so just to go back to when Sam's dad came in, we recovered, we moved to a new kitchen, we got on track, and then COVID hit. Right. And then, I mean, for small businesses, I was on it. Like, I was, I had applied for our loan, our small business, like, I was on everything, and we were very secure, but um, it was just like, such a crazy time where I was sucked into this logistical nightmare and I was like I don't even like do like I can't focus on development I can't focus on innovation I can't focus on going to events like all I do is argue with UPS right for moving boxes and you know I'm just in this I wasn't coming I didn't start a business from the mindset of an entrepreneur like a software company where I'm like I'm gonna grow this I'm gonna go through a series a I'm gonna raise all this money I'm gonna right. da, 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 here's my exit strategy I wanted to own a business because I'm passionate about food and I'm passionate about community and right. helping other people and I felt like those two aspects were sucked out of the equation and so essentially the company that purchased JoJ they're a private equity firm they have started a platform of sports nutrition brands that eventually this platform will be sold off as like, here you go. All of the best sports nutrition brands in the market are together here. And so it was a hundred percent that I was giving up and I was happy to do it because I saw this as an opportunity to go work for this company, Mm -hmm. solve that problem of, I can't focus on community and innovation. Right. They are allowing me to do that. That is That's my cool. job. And just have an opportunity to then plonk myself into, you know, equity in the new company. Right. So for me, it was like, it wasn't that hard because it was what I was looking for. Right. 
and because you didn't want to deal with shipping anymore I didn't want to <laughs> deal with shipping and I didn't yeah. want to deal I mean it's just it is so much it just as like a small example when someone emails you and they're like you know your packaging is really hard to open like here's a picture of like packaging that I like and you think that's great if they only understood that to change one to even change a package requires like $20,000 of 18 different steps and that's just for one SKU like oh it's gosh. just so funny like all you know now I have resources we have a person that you know forecasts and a per- person that does all these things and right. and then I'm still included it's actually the platform is called elite active nutrition okay a-l-e-t-e for all athletes oh, nice. so it's not like we're just serving elites we're serving everyone and and when you hear a private equity firm say that they're going to let you invest into community, you might be skeptical, but like the last year and a half is proof of what we've done. The people that we support, the events that we support, the fact that we are inclusive and we are, we serve a diverse group of people. Um, I'm really proud of what we're doing. That's cool. That's exciting. And it's cool to hear you. Like, I can feel the enthusiasm that you have and just that you're proud of it. Like, you you had an idea, started a company, maybe you didn't know exactly how to do every little piece of it, but now you've built it, and look at it now. It's pretty awesome. Now, let's talk about a little bit of the last step ride, because that, I know, is like your... Like, it's very cool. Like, I experienced it last year. I almost didn't because I had COVID (laughs) two weeks before that. But I was like, you know what? All I have to do is get up the mountain, just pedal as as I need. I was able to use your bike because you didn't race. And I think, really, your Camaro got me out of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it totally did. Um, But I'm going to race it again this year. And I I think I'm going to switch to the long course. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm super excited. But um, I think... After, because you're racing a big race this weekend, so you'll be totally fine. Yeah, I think so. I think it'll be great. But how did you decide to do the last step ride in Whitefish, Montana? Well, um, I had actually, in 2019, when I said I evolved from road racing, um, at the end of that year, I went to my friend Kevin Lohr's event, Rooted Vermont, a gravel race in Vermont that um, Laura invited me to. She was surprised that I came because I was still racing on the road and it kind of opened my eyes to what gravel was you know I'd heard about these gravel races and since I had raced Xterra and I had a gravel bike here and I rode on the gravel roads their event just it reminded me of being in Whitefish it's a very like super fun community um very close-knit it just felt different than road racing and moving into 2020 with COVID, Sam and I spent like five months here exploring and he's the expert route maker. So he was taking me places I had never been on a bike here, shamefully. <laughs> and and I, we were like, why isn't there a gravel race here? Right. And so we started like going around. Like I, the first thing we did, and I'm <laughs> going to tell you this because it's so funny. We drove to the Forest Service office in Kalispell and it was closed for COVID. And we're like, we could see someone in there. We're like knocking on the door. And she's like, we're like, we want to plan an event. 
event for 500 people. And she's like, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> we're like, but it's not going to be there. We don't have a pandemic next year. So everyone thought we were a little bit crazy at first. Um, but we stuck with it. And I think what helped is we had this mission centered around um, with what you brought up earlier, which is my background growing up here and having access to scholarship. I've always wanted to have a scholarship and I saw this as an opportunity to create a scholarship, create a nonprofit, support our community. And I think that allowed people to feel connected to the event. Um, Coming from Whitefish, I know that, I mean, we're overrun right now and it's really hard to say like, I'm bringing a lot of people to town, but people believe in our mission, our fundraising, for our scholarship through our registration is outstanding. Right. Like somehow we have convinced people that our little scholarship in Whitefish, Montana is worth investing in and they believe in that and they believe in our event. So we sold out the first year, we had a successful event, it poured rain, it put out all the fire smoke. It was a great, I thought it was perfect temperature. We got muddy, Everyone but it's loved okay. It. <laughs> After a super hot summer yeah. of racing. Um, so we're back this year. We're growing. Black Diamond is one of our partners this year. And we're really excited um, to have you and Great Northern Cyclinski as like two local businesses that have really um, helped lift up the event. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well... Tell me a little bit more about this scholarship. So who's, who is this best for from your scholarship? Okay. So we ended up naming it after my guidance counselor, who I mentioned, Mrs. Mansfield. She retired last year after okay. 44 years as an educator, 24 as the guidance, guidance counselor at Whitefish High School. So when I called the school, I talked to Jenny at the front desk, for anyone who went to Whitefish High School here. Yeah. Um, and she, I said, Jenny, Mrs. Mansfield's picture is still on the website. And she's like, Becca, she's still here. I'm like, how is that? Oh my gosh, I need to talk to her. So I talked to her. That's awesome. I talked to her and um, basically told her what I wanted to do. And we cried on the phone. And then I called Mr. Drown and he, who's the principal at the high school, and he allowed me to come in and basically surprise her with a speech at the Scholar Award Night the, the, um, that they have at Whitefish High School. We opened the scholarship up to Glacier High School, and next year we'll open it up to Flathead and Columbia Falls. We're trying to grow it slowly, but it is a scholarship that awards women. Um, we're focusing on women um, with academic merit and financial need. So we want it. We prompt the women with a question of um, what makes them a champion, describe a challenge and how they push through it and what makes them a champion. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that, yeah. so with that, have you, can you, without like saying too much detail or giving anything away, like you take these applications, what if some of these gals said, what defines, makes them a champion? Like, can you recall any that were, yeah, um, there have been some amazing stories that have brought me to tears. Um, I've heard stories of homelessness, wow. um, which, yeah, I've, I've heard stories of um, 
one of our scholars from last year, she um, immigrated here and she, English was her second language. She went through a lot of bullying. She has worked through high school to support her family. Um, she came and she volunteered for our event. I mean, these are things, women, like where I can relate to their situations of like right. how hard it is to come from a family where you just don't have resources. Right. Um, and that you're actually becoming an adult as a, at a young age to help your family. Um, so, yeah. It probably really makes incredible. it hard to choose, too. Yeah, that's the hardest part. You realize you're like, oh, crap. I want to give out 20 scholarships, and I have to say no. Oh, my gosh. That would yeah. be really hard. How it many scholarships really are you able to give out this year? We're doing five at a higher amount. Cool. Um, we, I have a scholarship committee. Um, a friend of mine, Elise, who is a professor at Gonzaga, and another friend of mine, Megan, who actually – um, works in the human resource um, division of uh, Fish and Game. And they have been, I couldn't have done the scholarship the first year without them. Like they organized all the paperwork, they organized our scoring metric, and we spent hours and hours this year going through the applications and like debating what do we do? What do we do? Right. Like this is so hard. Um, and it's really hard not to have a personal connection to some of the stories too. Right. So that, that would probably be the hardest thing is when I'm reading. I love testimonies, and that's really what gets me choked up. So, like, hearing some of that stuff would be hard. So yeah. that's, that's really cool. You guys do a great job. And I remember seeing, I didn't go to your, the awards last year, but you guys do it the Friday night before, don't you? Don't you do the award ceremony? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we have a happy hour and um, fundraiser for okay. the award ceremony. So we'll do that again this year. That's cool. We actually raised a lot of money on our um, registration platform. Funny okay. story, we we started working with a new registration platform because they have a fundraising piece. We actually didn't even know that that would launch during registration until oh. months after our registration we started. And I started poking on the portal and I was like, oh, what's this donations button? And I went in and saw that we had raised over $12,000. And I was flabbergasted. I felt first off like an idiot because I hadn't sent thank you cards out to anyone because right. I didn't even know. We were using it because <laughs> we thought it was a way at the happy hour that that's where we would funnel the money right. as a nonprofit now, like having that separation. Right. So um, if you donated, you'll be getting a thank you card <laughs> Yeah, you see that when you sign up for events, like yeah. not all of them, but there's a spot if you want to donate some extra. So that's yeah. cool. So I think this might be my last question, but what are three pivotal moments in your life, or one or two, and how have they propelled you forward? Well, let's let's just focus on one, okay. um, because we're on the topic of the race. I want to focus on this one. Um, running an event is, I think, the hardest thing I have ever done, which is saying a lot because I could tell you some catering stories. <laughs> I could tell you some race stories, right. um, business stories. But running this event was, I think, 
my biggest mistake was not allowing myself to have enough help last year and realizing that people want to help. And I took on a lot. Um, I knew I was taking on too much. And it was so overwhelming. It just, the race day for me last year was glorious to a lot of people. To me, it was, quite honestly, it was traumatizing. (laughs) It was beautiful to see, but there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes um, that, yeah, I hadn't slept for like a week. It was really, really hard. And I think I had some PTSD from that. And it was a massive learning curve of how to make this year better. And so when I kind of pulled myself out of that and started reaching out to people and um, pulling resources together, this year I'm actually having fun. Okay, like good. I'm <laughs> like having fun organizing some you know some new things yeah. that are we're bringing into the event, some new sponsors, like you know just learning and realizing like I think that mostly. I've created another business that I think is going to really change the culture of our area. Like last year, no one owned gravel bikes. Right. No one even really understood what it was. Now and everybody has now a everybody gravel bike. has a gravel bike, <laughs> yeah. and I know that Sam and I played a part in that. Oh, for sure. Um, and I also think like with the clinics that I'm running, I host the free clinics for women. That they're like we've tapped into something here, and that. Like, this is a pivot point for our community, too, and our cycling community of, like, what what we're going to accomplish. That's really cool. I love it. I didn't really know gravel riding that much until this event, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll try it. I don't have a gravel bike, so borrowed one from you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but it's, it's such a good thing because, like, I love Montana, but there's not a lot of places to ride. Unless you can hit gravel. Yep. There's little pockets where you have some good road structures, but like then all of a sudden you're gonna hit a gravel road. And now you're you can't take your road bike on that. So plus for me sometimes I feel like the gravel rides are a little safer because you have less traffic. Yeah. And sometimes the roads are really smooth. (laughs) I did I wanted to point out something too, like the accessibility to gravel, like so when I went to Rudy, Vermont, my friend Laura, I told her, well, I don't have a gravel bike. And if I did, I can't afford to ship it. And she's like, oh, you can ride mine. Instantly hooked. Right. And then you didn't have a gravel bike. I'm like, you can ride mine. Instantly, Instantly hooked. hooked. <laughs> All you need is a friend to give you a little push. Totally. And it's a sport that really, it's like, even if you're not fast, it's still fun. Totally. Like riding bikes are fun and you take the technical element of mountain biking away yeah. that can be intimidating. Mm-hmm. And you take the, you know, the safety element with cars on the road and you get that freedom. Totally. So easily. Yeah. And I can relate because now I'm trying to get my daughter. She's ridden that gravel bike and she's like, oh, this is kind of cool. The first time her riding a slip and just experiencing that. And it's like, okay. I mean, she's 12, almost 13, and she might be the next gravel rider. We'll see. I don't know if she'll do the last rest ride with me. Not, not <laughs> Maybe not the yet. long course. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not yet, but um, is there anything else that you want to share? Anything about the last bike ride or just to encourage women in general? Um, well, I think just because we're sitting here together, it's like, so you're my mortgage yeah. person and 
Um, I told the story that three years ago, I had no idea what it took to own a house. And, like, it's interesting, like, the crossover of, like, women supporting women. Yeah. And it's been around forever, but I think we're, like, kind of putting our stakes in the ground, like, hey, we're here to stay, and, like, we deserve a spot at the table. And it's, like, how we've helped each other um, in our own, you know, like, coming from more cycling specific and me from this place like it's really neat to yeah. have that to have a friend in town that you know I've learned from you and you've learned from me and for sure so yeah I would just say like you know whatever you feel like you what's special about you and you have to offer like don't be afraid to share it with someone else totally you never know what's gonna come from that I agree I think women Thank you so much. Thank you. This was so really good. Do you have any plans for the rest of the day? Going on a bike ride? Or hopefully I'll get on a little ride um, before the farmer's market. Cool. Super fun. Well, we're sitting here in beautiful Whitefish, Montana, and it's not raining, and it's Yay. been great. So, again, thank you yeah, for being on Super Fast Random, the podcast. Thanks for having me.